You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 683 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Saturday evening, a little bit earlier than normal because the game tonight was a little bit earlier than normal with a 6 o'clock start up in Brooklyn. Um, I will, of course, spend plenty of time, most of the podcast, I would say, on what transpired there, and it was definitely a tale of two halves in Brooklyn with the Hawks running out to a big lead and then giving it all away in the fourth quarter. We'll talk about that, of course, as we uh, always would on the podcast. Before, before we get to that, though, there was a report and a, um, I guess a write-up from Jeff Schultz of The Athletic that I, wanted to, that I wanted to address here. I almost did an emergency podcast. It wasn't quite on that level, but people were asking me what I thought. So I'll start the podcast with that. Um, Schultz is, of course, a longtime columnist. He used to be at the AJC, not The Athletic. Dialed in, good sources, and actually had an interview um, with Travis Schlenk as part of his write-up on Friday and that was the, the headliner for me was a couple of quotes that Schlenk gave that I wanted to address here. The first of which I'm going to read to you right now. I'm quoting, I made some stupid mistakes. I'll admit to that. Some of the decisions haven't worked out. Write that. That's what I told them. When you look at our roster, and if I could go back and change one thing, it's that we don't have anybody with a voice, end quote. Now, this all comes on the heels of the reporting about Lloyd Pierce and the and the locker room frustration last week. Um, I thought it was pretty surprising to me that Schlenk went on the record and said the thing about not having anybody with a voice. That isn't a crazy thing to think out loud or to say off the record, but saying it on the record is pretty interesting, um, even if it's not like groundbreaking, because it was a lot of the reporting was about how the Hawks don't have that leader right now, aside from Vince Carter, who's just kind of in a different place. But the fact that Schlenk said that um, added some fuel to the fire, you could probably say, with that. I don't think it's breaking ground to say that Schlenk did not bat 1,000 this summer with all of his moves, and he seems like he's already acknowledging that. I talked about that at at length last week. If you missed it, I did a sort of a five questions and answers podcast, one of which was about Travis Schlenk. So if you missed me going a little bit deeper on the roster stuff, go back to that podcast. But obviously, you know, Schlenk didn't bat 1,000 and try to improve the team this year. It is uh, important to note that you know there's context involved here, and credit to him for being as candid as he was in this spot, and that he has also been that way several other times. Um, elsewhere in the piece, uh, Jeff Schultz wrote the following. I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote from the piece. Not, a, not this is not a quote from a person, but this is what Jeff had to say. Some of this came to a head following a loss in Brooklyn two weeks ago. Young, Trey Young, I should say. Frustrated by a lack of roster support and perceived lack of effort at time by teammates, said some things in the locker room he probably shouldn't have, and it didn't go over well. End quote. Um, Schultz was citing a source there, but that is the same sort of reporting that Sham Sarania had at the time two weeks ago. It was a little bit disputed there by Chris Kirchner of The Athletic at the time, but uh, Schultz getting this from, from a source inside the locker room is, is pretty credible, I think. So obviously there was some stuff at, at the time about how Trey seemed to be frustrated, and that kind of boiled over. But the fact that Schultz went as far to say that, you know, he said some things that, quote, he probably shouldn't have and it didn't go over well is interesting to note. That's all I know. I don't know anything else about what was actually said by Trey, but that's kind of the first time that it was kind of put on Trey as saying some things that he probably shouldn't have said. So I want to put that out there. It's definitely worth pointing that out. It is hard to tell how much of that bakes in with some of the Haynes reporting last week on the Five Questions podcast that we talked about. Um, Schlenk. Travis Schlenk told Jeff Schultz that it's hard to ask a player at Trey Young's age to be a leader of guys who are, you know, often 30 years old or more. And he also, and I'm, I'm now quoting on this particular quote from Lloyd, from uh, sorry, from, from Travis Schlenk. 
he's had a lot of growth, obviously, on the court from this time last year to where he is now. And we've also seen a lot of growth on the court. So it's interesting uh, in a lot of ways. Schlenk also cited uh, Trey's leadership and patting Cam Reddish on the back after he had the late the late miss against the Lakers last week, um, I guess maybe, probably a week and a half ago at this point in time. Um, I wanted to play some audio for you. Um, Trey Young was actually asked, this is before the Jeff Schultz report, but after the game on Thursday. So this is uh, after all the Chris Haynes stuff was out there, et cetera, et cetera. Trey was asked after the game on Thursday, which was a loss, um, to sort of talk about the chemistry a little bit. Young did follow up from there and ask what the question actually meant. And the follow up from the reporter was that he was asking about the, about the quote, togetherness from the team lately. So I wanted to give Trey the opportunity. Uh, I was not the person to ask this question, but I thought it kind of fits well in terms of context and all the things that have now have been reported. Here's what Trey had to say about the uh, recent uh, locker room stuff and the, and the, and the sort of the chemistry and the, and the togetherness of the Hawks locker room. I don't think people need to stop questioning that. Uh, we have, we, we all, you know, been good with each other. Uh, off the court, on the court. Uh, it's, been, it's been great. Um, Chemistry is getting better and better each day. We're, I mean, we all pulling for each other. That's good. This is a good thing. Now, obviously, it would have been more noteworthy if Trey said something that was controversial. I tweeted out that quote that you just heard uh, and got some attention for that. You know, I wanted to always have the audio context. It's always important and better to hear something than it is to read it on a page. So that's what Trey had to say. And again, this is before the Schultz reporting came out, but I wanted to give that sort of context in there. At the end of the day, the locker room stuff, I think, is a little bit overblown. It was noteworthy because it was the first time that someone had reported specifically that, you know, Trey said something that he shouldn't have said. That is noteworthy. Again, I don't know what it is, but alas... There it is in terms of what was out there and what I was being asked about and I figured I would address on this podcast. The last thing on the Schultz report that I wanted to touch on quickly here is that Travis Schlenk told Jeff Schultz that, quote, Lloyd is fine, Lloyd is not on the hot seat, end quote. Now, not a surprise at all, the GM and president of basketball operations would push back against that report from Haynes saying that Lloyd could have been on the hot seat. It is noteworthy, though, that he said it on the record and as clear as day, so he's now out there and on the record in terms of Lloyd not being on the hot seat. Obviously, we'll talk about the game on uh, Saturday night, which people have already started getting mad at Lloyd again about the collapse, etc. I'll address that stuff later on in the podcast, but there you go. Again, I almost did a emergency podcast, but as you probably know at this point in time, that's about seven minutes of content, which is not, which is not a full podcast. I have nothing else to talk about on Friday, so I figured I'd save it for segment one of tonight's show and uh, certainly made interesting by all the stuff that happened on Saturday and, of course, looking ahead to John Collins returning on Monday for the first time in a long time. So we'll talk more of that as we go in here. But I would definitely encourage you, by the way, to go out and read the full piece from Jeff Schultz. It's always better, and I, I try to do a good job with context on this podcast and give you as much as I think is relevant in terms of I don't want to give everything away from stuff that people write. So same thing, same thing with, the Chris, with, with, with the Chris Haynes report last week with Shams, with anything that Chris Kirshner or Sarah Spencer write around the team or Ben Ladner or whoever else. Go read it. It's always better to read the full thing and I will do my best to give you the uh, the short version even if the long version is much better usually to take everything in at the same time so with all that said we will come back in a few seconds after a short word from our sponsors and talk all about what was a very interesting and unfortunate game in some respects for the Hawks on Saturday night all right, it is time to talk about what transpired on Saturday in Brooklyn. Um, Southern stage here a little bit. The Hawks were seven and a half point underdogs against the Nets, uh, and kind of insane that the Hawks didn't cover this game. Uh, my apologies if you bet on the Hawks in this game. That was absolutely awful on another level beyond the actual loss itself to not even cover when they're up by you know double digits in the fourth quarter. Awful. 
Uh, anyway, the Nets were uh, without Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, as they had been for a long time now. And by the way, coming into the game, the Nets were 11-6 and six without Kyrie, so it wasn't like this is a team that was just like in desperate need of him. They have Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a good player, obviously, had a big game in this spot. But um, the Hawks were not supposed to win this game coming into it, um, especially with Trey Young also battling flu-like symptoms. The Hawks put him on the injury report. It seemed like Trey was always going to play in the way that he talked about this after the game, but he seemed to be under the weather by all counts, both the way the broadcast talked about it, the way he looked, the way he talked. It seemed like Trey was battling some illness, so that's worth pointing out. And by the way, he had 47 points in this game, so pretty crazy performance from Trey, all things considered. But um, also the Hawks were without Evan Turner as well. Um, and you remember, as we, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, actually, the Hawks lost by by double digits in Brooklyn. That was the game uh, that was reportedly the night where Trey said some things that he shouldn't have said, etc. But um, that was sort of a bit of synergy here. You know, three weeks later or so, the Hawks playing in Brooklyn uh, after doing that, having having that incident happen in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. Um, same starters for the Hawks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, coming into the game, they had lost six in a row and 17 out of 19. Obviously, it's seven in a row now and 18 out of 20 and a four and 21 mark without John Collins. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast, but. Whew, that's pretty bad. Um, anyway, in the early going, it was a lot of positivity. Um, it's kind of crazy to think about now. The Hawks pretty much dominated this game in the first half with the exception of one run. Um, it was a 14-5 run by the Hawks to open the game up. They were taking care of the ball. They were shooting the ball well. They were playing good defense in the early going. There was um, one run, though, by Brooklyn. It was a 15-0 run in the first quarter. The Hawks have had too many of those allowed this this season. The Hawks didn't score for more than three and a half minutes. Um, part of that was with Trey Young on the court. I would say about – sorry – Part of it was with him on and part of it was with with him off. It wasn't a full-blown Trey leaves the court and then they die, but that was something to do with it, I'm sure. And he came back pretty quickly when the Hawks just could not score. Um, but still, they, they bounced back from that. They got they got down by seven points, but then actually ended the quarter on a 7-0 run to tie the game. Atlanta had a good offensive performance in the first quarter, and that continued in the second quarter where things were very good for the most part. Um, they played about a nine-and-a-half-man rotation that we'll talk about as we get, get going here. But Vince Carter was sort of the 10th guy that kind of barely played but did come back in late, late, late in this game. Um, an 8-2 run by the Hawks early in the second quarter um, with Trey Young scoring um, on a on a, th- a three-shot foul, followed by five points in a row from Alex Len. Len actually had seven points in about 100 seconds. He was uh, very, very good in this game. In fact, he had 13 points and nine rebounds in his first 10 minutes of action. Then Trey hit back-to-back threes um, to go up by a seven-point margin. That was a 9-0 run from there to go up by 10. Um, the one sort of down spot in the first half was Jabari Parker, who really struggled. and didn't, actually didn't play a lot in this game. We'll come back to him later. But um, Atlanta led by double figures for a lot of that middle portion of the game. Um, they did survive a little bit of a run by the Nets at the end of the first half because they um, had Trey Young. He had scored five points in a row. And then they closed on an 8-0 run um, that included threes from Alex Len and Trey Young. It was the highest scoring first half of the season for the Hawks. They scored 73 points in the first half, and it was, it was all smiles by everybody. It was a pretty impressive performance. I talked about that on Twitter as well in the moment. Trey had 24 and 6 in the first half. Alex Lennon at 16 and 10, a double double, including two threes in 14 minutes before halftime. The Hawks had four turnovers in the first half, taking care of the ball at a high rate. They uh, got to the line 13 times, made 12 of them. And when when paired with the turnover rate that was very, very low, they had a, a sparkling 135 offensive rating before halftime. The defense wasn't fantastic from the Hawks in the first half, in the first half, or really the entire game, but it wasn't a problem either. They were cooking on offense and again led by double figures at the break. Um, 73 to 60, and uh, you know, again, all smiles. Even in the third quarter, when things weren't all great for the Hawks, they played even um, overall in the third period. Granted, that was more defensive than offensive because the Nets came out of the uh, gate 
pretty well after the Hawks went up by 15 points. There was a 7-0 run by Brooklyn in about 46 seconds, which was <laughs> crazy to see in some respects. But after Alex Len came back in for Bruno Fernando, that was the theme throughout the game, that Len is just by far the best option on the roster at this point in time. The Hawks pushed the lead up to 18 after Trey hit three free throws in a row after technical fouls on Brooklyn. He hit 31 with seven minutes to go in the third quarter. Just a ridiculous performance from Trey offensively. Um, then a coach's challenge by Lloyd Pierce actually won and swung an offensive foul from Trey Young to to Dinwiddie. That was his fourth. That was his fourth. And then moments, I mean, really seconds later, Young drew Dinwiddie's fifth foul. And that was a big moment because Dinwiddie was by far the best player for Brooklyn in this game offensively. So he had to leave the court for almost a full quarter and the Hawks um, did pretty good work for most of that time. Now, from there, though, the Hawks did have a little bit of a scare at the end of the third quarter with Trey Young sitting down at, the, at about the four-minute mark. They were, they were up by 14 at that point in time. They just couldn't score, particularly before they had uh, Hunter and Lynn, who came back in shortly shortly after that. But when all th- with all, all, three of, all three of those guys off the court, it was pretty ugly in a lot of ways. They um, survived it, though, I will say, which is good. But the, the Nets got within five, and that was a big swing in the game, it seemed like. Alex Lynn, though... If the Hawks had won this game, I'd be talking about this game. I would talk about this shot already in, on the podcast. But Alex Lent had a three that was just a massive momentum sw- momentum change. When Brooklyn had got it to five, it was an awful possession by the Hawks in a lot of ways. And the ball ended up in Lent's hands in the corner. He had to sort of heave up a three, and he made it. And then that led to the Hawks going on an 8-0 run to end the ha- to end the uh, quarter to go back up by 13. So it was an up and down third quarter. But still, even with that said, Hawks up 13 going to the fourth quarter. And then disaster struck, as you probably know by now. A 14-0 run by the Nets to open the fourth quarter. Uh, part of that was with Alex Lyon on the bench after he got his fourth foul. The Hawks didn't score a single point, not a field goal, not a, not a single point in the first five minutes and 22 seconds of the fourth quarter. They only had two timeouts left, so Lloyd Pierce kind of let them let them go a little bit more than you probably would have wanted to at that point in time if they were not strapped for timeouts. Um, the Hawks missed all eight of their shots during that stretch. They had two turnovers, and they were back-to-back by Trey Young. Young found them stopped the bleeding with a layup um, at, again at the 638 mark, but the damage was kind of done at that point in time. The lead was all but gone. Actually, it was gone because Brooklyn went up by one point. The Hawks did lead a couple times after that very briefly. Uh, Trey Young got, got to the rim and scored, take a lead again, going up by 102-101. But um, at the um, how, because of the uh, time on the podcast, I'm not, I'm not gonna go play by play. But in short, the Hawks just had trouble scoring the entire fourth quarter. Um, it was a 23 to four run overall after the 14-0. It was still another nine four because Joe Harris had a three pointer to go up by six, and then the Hawks never got within four ever again after that point in time. Um, they did. Um, get back within four at one ten and one oh six, and then they forced a steal, but Reddish got blocked at the rim. Um. It was one of those things where it was a lot of back and forth. They, you know, there was a big swing on a dunk and one three point play by Spencer Dinwiddie to go up 113 to 108. Trey did, Trey did score at the rim to get back within three. I saw I misspoke before. It was actually three again later on. Um, after a couple of missed threes by Dinwiddie and Young back and forth, um, an awful turnover, probably the worst moment of the game. I tweeted about this afterwards. But um, Kevin Herter bringing the ball up the court, sort of at midcourt, gets run into by Cam Reddish. So it was kind of a dual issue. You know, I initially thought it was worse on a Herter than I saw on the replay. Reddish, I'm not really sure what Cam was doing there, but either one of them, a bad play to turn it over at a really, really bad time, um, down by three. And then Herter had a bonehead play on defense in transition, fouling Joe Harris, but not doing so hard enough to have Harris also also get a layup as well. So a three-point play from Joe Harris, and suddenly you're down by six. And that was brutal. Then... The Hawks had some life. They created a wide-open three. It was a great pass by Trey Young under the rim. Cam Reddish, wide-open corner three, misses it. 
So down six, missed a three, and then Dinwiddie gets to the line for a what was probably a dagger layup to go up by eight. The Hawks did get it back within six at one point after another miss by Reddish. Uh, Young scored to get back within six after um, DeAndre Jordan missed a dunk that would have absolutely ended the game, and it was a, a long miss that went off the rim and out of bounds. They got back to six, but after a couple of free throws, Trey misses a deep three, and that was the end of the game from there. Um, you probably saw this already, but the stats in the second half kind of speak for themselves, frankly, in terms of how bad they were. The fourth quarter especially, the Hawks were 6 of 26 from the floor in the fourth quarter, and they were 0 of 14. 0 of 14 from three in the fourth period. Trey Young had, had 12 points. He wasn't overly efficient in the fourth quarter because he, he, he was actually 0 of 4 from three, but he had 12 of the, of the 14 points for the Hawks in the fourth quarter. 12 of the 14. Alex Lynn had two. That was it. Nobody else scored in the fourth quarter. In the second half... As I said before, the Hawks were able to survive the third quarter based on their defense, and that was definitely the case because in the entire second half of this game, the Hawks scored 39 points, which is as many as they scored in the second quarter of this game alone. They scored 39 in the second half. They were 13 of 49, which is 26% from the floor, and they were 2 of 24, 8% from three in the, after halftime. Trey had 23 of the 39 points after halftime. He was the only one that was scoring, and... Um, yeah, the kind of just speaks for itself. I know the Hawks, you know, the first day, it was, it's kind of a cliche. It's more of like a, almost a funny one to talk about how things are a tale of two halves or a game of runs or one of those things that you hear about NBA games. But in this game, it does not get more stark than this. The Hawks had a season high, 73 points in the first half, and they scored 39 in the, in the second half and uh, 14 in the fourth quarter because they were 626 from the floor and 014 from three. So, you know, draw a dividing line wherever you want to. Maybe it was midway through the third quarter. However you want to do that. The Hawks just could not score from that point forward, despite what Trey was able to do with 47 points. And uh, yeah, that speaks for itself. Okay, we will transition a little bit here in a second, but um, big picture numbers for the full game here. Atlanta actually settled in at a 100 offensive rating. And given that they had 135 in the first half, that tells you how bad it was after halftime. It was absolutely ghastly for the Hawks offensively. Um, for the full game, they shot 37% from the floor, 23% from three. They had only 17 assists versus 10 turnovers, so that was actually wasn't that bad, but just a lot of missed shots. That was the story of the game. They got to the line and shot the ball well at the free throw line, and rebounding was not a problem in this game, but everything else was just no shot making um, for Atlanta. Defensively, a 109 defensive rating. It was not terrible, honestly. I thought the defense was pretty competitive. It was a very, very fast-paced game, so 122 looks worse than it actually is. Um, 109 defensive rating is better than the Hawks are as a norm. That's not good, but it's not. it was not bad, and I thought the Hawks did enough to win this game defensively. Um, they held Brooklyn to 46% shooting, 36% from three. That isn't bad at all. They forced some turnovers. They didn't get killed in the offensive glass. All that stuff is worth noting, and honestly, that was probably the biggest matchup coming into the game because the Nets were top five in the league in offensive rebounding, and the Hawks are, of course, terrible. They were last in the league defensive rebounding, and that wasn't the problem. The Hawks actually, you know, took care of the ball offensively. That's one of their big bugaboos offensively, too. It's, if, you, if you told me coming into this game, the Hawks were going to take care of the ball with 10 turnovers, and they were going to take care of the defensive glass. That's a pretty good recipe for winning, but they just couldn't do anything else. They just couldn't make shots, and that happens sometimes in this league, but man, it was brutal to watch in a lot of ways. Uh, individually, we'll fly through this a little bit. I know we're going a little bit longer than normal on the podcast. The short version is that I would say only two guys on the Hawks roster played well in this game. If you want to find a third, it's probably, it's probably DeAndre Hunter. I would say he was average by his standards. Everybody else was below average, um, and we'll talk about sort of individual guys quickly here. Um, the below average guys on the bench, Jabari Parker, got kind of buried. Uh, noteworthy, actually. They brought in Vince Carter at the end of the game. Um, Pierce was actually asked why he went small late, 
it was pretty obvious to me why he went small late because they were down and they, and they absolutely had to score. And um, it did work a little bit more on the offensive end in the last three or four minutes. They got some better shots by going small. The stops weren't really there, but at that point in time, you have to score when you're losing. So I was okay with it. But they, they noteworthy, they chose Vince Carter, who hadn't played the entire second half, over Jabari Parker in that role. Uh, Vince was not great um, at all. He didn't do a whole lot in this game, but that's worth pointing out. Alan Crabb was quiet and didn't play very much. 12 minutes from Crabb. Um, 0-2 from the floor, he was not good. Um, Donner Bembry was uh, a little bit more noisy. He is 3 of 10 from the floor. Took a couple of threes he probably shouldn't have taken. You know, I'm okay with him shooting it. He has to shoot it when he's wide open. But a couple of, uh, I won't say forced, but not necessarily ideal shots from DeAndre. Nine points, four rebounds. He was at least effective in some ways, but he was not being guarded by Brooklyn, which is a lot, which is the reason why he took so many shots. He was not being guarded. He was basically being ignored. Uh, Kenny Atkinson was around when DeAndre was drafted. He knows DeAndre well, and I'm sure that was a part of the game plan to not guard him, and that was effective from Brooklyn. And then the one guy on the bench who was actually good in this game was Alex Lynn. Uh, 23 points. Second on the team in scoring and 14 rebounds. By the way, both of those are season highs for Alex Len. 23 and 14. He was very, very, very good. Had two blocks. 26 minutes. Probably should have even been more than that. He had some foul trouble or, or it might have been closer to 30. He was 10 of 16 from the floor and 3 of 4 from 3. That's a big thing for Alex Len because last season, if you remember, Alex Len was filling up from 3. He shot the ball great in the second half of last season. Then it kind of fell off a cliff early this year. Now he's got it back. And if that holds, then he is, you know, he, he was already the best center on the team. And that become that gap becomes even wider. He's going to make shots because he's better at everything else. Defensively, he's the best center by far. So, you know, eventually they might go back to him as a starter. We'll see how that goes in the future. In fact, Lloyd Pierce was asked um, post-game about the starting lineup for Monday. He would not give anything about that. So we'll see where Collins is. He's going to be starting, but we don't know where, um, either at the four or the five or who's going to be playing center next to him, et cetera. And we'll come back to that at a later date. I, know I mentioned Jabari. Jabari was really bad. Uh, there's a reason why he was buried 15 minutes in this game. Defensively, it was a mess. Offensively, he didn't give them a ton. It wasn't enough to justify his position. But that's the first time in a while that he's just been buried. And um, particularly without without Collins, you would have been surprised if Jabari ever played 15 minutes in a game with no foul trouble and no um, injury. But it happened, and it was probably justifiable because he was not very good in this game. To the starters... As I said before, uh, a couple of guys struggled. Bruno Fernando was not very good. I didn't think it wasn't terrible. You know, Bruno gave him good energy. Good energy. I will. I will say he's definitely been playing harder in the last couple of games because he's been starting. That has been pretty easy to see. But you know, a lot of the credit that was assigned to the starting lineup change, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about that because Bruno's not been good. Like he's been better, but he's not been good by any means. Did have one point of six rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block shot. He was okay. He took two threes. That's Okay, if he's going to be wide open, just shoot it. Uh, a couple of bad misses, but alas, it's okay. To, he's taking those. He just wasn't fantastic in this spot. Um, Cam Reddish, 2 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3. A couple of wide open misses from 3 that he's just going to have to make. You know, He, he had been making them recently, so I'm not going to I sort of bury Cam on this one. He took one bad shot in the fourth quarter that he didn't that he did not need to take. But the one in the corner, like he's just got to shoot it. He missed it. It's fine. I'm not worried about that long term. I think he's going to make enough shots to stick around and be fine. And defensively, he was pretty good. So you know, there's there's plenty of guys who are worse than Reddish in this spot. I think offensively, he had some moments where he kind of makes you shake your head. But defensively, it is good, which really helps you. And he played with more force than someone got some other guys did in this game. And then Hunter, uh, 14 points, five, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. He was just kind of out there and fine. I didn't think that DeAndre was very good or very bad. He was just the guy who I thought was average in this game. Uh, Kevin Hunter struggled pretty mightily in this spot. 9 points, 6 rebounds, did have 6 assists, went to tie for the lead with Trey Young, which is a good thing from him, but he was minus 16, a team worse there. 36 minutes for Kevin, 3 of 13 from the floor, 1 of 8 from 3. Lloyd Pierce got asked about Herter and kind of seemed baffled by the way that Herter had shot the ball anyway in this game. Took 8 threes, and he definitely... 
Lloyd said he wants Herter taking eight threes a game, which is justifiable. You know, Herter's a good shooter. It just hasn't happened so far this year. He's sort of in a slump at the moment. And he didn't play with a ton of force. That's something that you have to point out. I mean, when, when Kevin Herter is aggressive and playing with force, he's a, a very good player. When he's not, he's not so good. Um, so that's, it's a swing skill for him. It, it, but if he's going to miss shots and not play with force, it, it gets tough. You got to play him because he's one of your best players, but he was not good in this game. Um, lastly, of course, Trey Young, 47 points and had a shot in the air for 50 in the fourth quarter. Um, eight rebounds to, uh, tie for second. No, sorry. Actually second by second by himself behind Alex Lynn and rebounding on the team. Six assists in 40 minutes of play. 14 of 30 from the floor, three of 12 from three, 16 of 19 from the free throw line. That is a really, really good thing. I tweeted about that during the game when it was actually going quite better for the Hawks offensively, but it still applies here. One of Young's better traits offensively, and obviously, you know, his passing is absolutely elite. His shooting gets a lot of attention. His, his handling is really impressive, but his foul drawing, and this is a good thing. I'm not, this is not a criticism at all. Um, his foul drawing is so good and so advanced that it allows him to increase efficiency in a, in a big way. I think the the comp that you would, uh, you know, try to find a comparison for that is difficult because of he because of his size but guys who get to the line the way that he can he's not it's not it's not like James Harden where he's getting the line 25 times a game but Trey is capable of 19 free throws in a game and when you're as good a free throw shooter as he is getting to the line is so valuable especially the three shot those three shot fouls so that's one of those things that really helps his efficiency overall is getting to the free throw line and shooting like 90% from the free throw line that's a huge thing and it came to pass in this spot obviously he was fantastic offensively particularly when you realize that again he was playing under the weather, he was not healthy in this game. Like he was obviously healthy enough to play, but you know there was apparently some some doubt, maybe not a ton of doubt, but at least some doubt that w- whether he was going to play in this game because they added him to the injury report. And after the game, like he, he seemed to be not feeling great. So, you know, forty-seven points speaks for itself. He was fantastic, and um, unfortunately, the Hawks just couldn't get it done around him because again, only Alex Lynn was um, better than average um, to support him in this spot. All right. With all that said, we will look ahead a little bit to the game on Monday. John Collins is back. I wrote I wrote a thing that actually posted before I recorded this podcast at PeachTreeHoops.com, just kind of outlining the things that John Collins will help with. I also discussed those things on that Five Questions podcast last week. If you missed that, it's a good listen. Go back, go back and listen to it. It still applies for the most part. That whole podcast does. But John will help them in a lot of different ways. Uh, no, commi- no com- commitment from Pierce in terms of how the lineup's going to look, but he's going to start. And... Um, the Hawks are just much better with John Collins on the floor. That's the short version of that, and uh, the suspension is now over. The Hawks went 4-21. and They were the worst team in the league by a um, per-possession metric, the net rating um, metrics that are out there. They were the worst team in the league while he was suspended, 4-21. and So is he going to fix everything? No, but is he going to fix a lot? Yes, he will help them quite a bit, and in conjunction with the schedule, they can have some optimism looking ahead, including Monday, because Cleveland's not very good. So with Collins, there's every reason to think the Hawks can win that game. It'd be nice if they would. Because after that, they have three days off for Christmas, and then they play the Bucks at home. And the Bucks are uh, a juggernaut. So it would be good if they won that game on Monday. We'll, we'll, we'll actually talk, we'll talk about that one after the game more. I will be surprised if I have a podcast between now and then. But um, obviously, everyone's excited for John Collins to come back. Um, he'll fix a lot of things, and uh, he's very good at basketball. So it'll be good to see the Hawks playing with a full deck at that point in time. Lloyd Pierce, same thing. And uh, we'll see how they fare beginning on Monday against the Cavs. So... All that said, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. Clearly, this was not a great night at the office for the Hawks. It was a great first half. It was a bad fourth quarter in particular, but really a whole second half. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of leave it there for now. Tell a friend, subscribe, and we'll see everybody um, at the latest after the game on Monday.